here this morning as we continue this series entitled Unbelievable. Again, man, this whole series is not just about the word. It's all about the attitude. It's all about how you say it. Because a lot of us in this room, we're already living an unbelievable life. For us, our life is unbelievable. I mean, our life sometimes feels like it couldn't get any worse. We're in a tough spot. We're in a bad place. But what we're doing through this series is saying, hey, you know what? That God, Jesus ultimately said this in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 he said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, life to maximum capacity, which means what he wants to do is that in a relationship with him, who he is, what he provides, that God wants to do something so radical that when you wake up in the morning, like you're looking forward to your day, you're looking forward to 2016, you're looking forward to your marriage, you're looking forward to what God has for you, and you can do it with this anticipation of unbelievable, that God wants you and I to really experience an unbelievable Life And so what we've been saying is, is this, so kind of here's the catch, that even though Jesus has that for everyone in this room, ultimately we've been saying it this way, that, that you can have an unbelievable life if, if you're willing to live it in an unbelievable way, which means ultimately what God does is, is there are things that God wants to do in your life and through your life, but it's a partnership. It's not that God's just going to show up and do it all for you, but as we partner with him, as we make decisions his direction, that God can really do some unbelievable things in our life. And so we, uh, through this series, if you've not been here, week one, we talked about um, unbelievable worship. Last week, Pastor Ryan brought a great word, unbelievable faith. And today, we're going to go just another direction. We're going to talk about what is kind of the crux. What's the core? What's at the center of it all. Just before we do it though, real quick, hey, if you've not grabbed a, an unbelievable wristband, I know we ran out week one. We have more. Uh, they're going to be at the information booth. We'll have someone at the back handing them out on the way out. Grab one. I'd encourage you to wear it just to, as a reminder of what God wants to do in your life to really cause you to walk in something. Come on, say it with me. That's unbelievable. So as we jump into week three, let me give you one more word. I want you to say this word with me together. Everybody say the word. Everybody shout it with me. Everybody say mistakes. mistakes. Boy, you shouted that one really well. Because we can shout the good words, like we can shout love. We can shout good words like, you know, like big, we can shout roll tide, war eagle, go Buckeyes. We can shout big ones, but there are some words we don't like shouting. And mistakes, come on, mistakes is one of those words. It's like we get there and we're like, mistakes. But here's the reality is everybody, everyone in this room, all of us, including myself, including you, right? We all make mistakes. Everybody in this room, we've made mistakes. In fact, there's a lot of us here today that there are some mistakes that we have in our past, right? There are some things that we've done that like right now, every now and then it, it kind of rears its ugly head, that we can look back to our life and there are things in our past that still haunt us today. In fact, if someone walks up to you and says, hey, hey, do you remember when kind of we cower down, we get a little shame because we know that we've made mistakes. A mistake, a mistake is doing something that you know you shouldn't do. Or a mistake is not doing something that you know you should have done. And so, man, we all have them. Not only do we have, I have, and probably many of you in this room have mistakes in our past. Some of us in this room are like, we're in the middle of some mistakes, right? There's some of us in this room, we're in the middle of the decision-making process. And if you were real gut honest, like if you would have a gut check conversation with me, you could probably look me in the eye and say, Pastor Steve, you know what? Like, I know I'm doing it wrong. Like, I know I'm making bad decisions. In fact, me talking about this is just making you squirm a little. You showed up to church. Some of you showed up to church today or you're watching online to somehow kind of alleviate some of the guilt you're feeling about the mistakes you've made or you're making. But here's what I know is, in the middle of all of our mistakes, here's what I know is, mistakes cause consequences. Mistakes cause loss. 
Right? When you make a mistake in your marriage, it's going to cost you at least a night on the couch. It's going to cost you. Some of us in this room, come on, if we're honest, maybe you made some mistakes. Maybe you made some decisions, and it cost you your marriage. It cost you your job. It cost you an F in the class. Because when we make mistakes, when we choose to do things we shouldn't do, when we choose to not do things that we know we should do, when we, when we goof off, when we make mistakes, when we fall short, when we mess up, it costs us something. In fact, we get things that we don't want. We get things in our life that we would rather not have. In fact, here's what I know is, instead of getting what we deserve, most of us don't want what we deserve. You know what we want when we make a mistake? We want grace. Isn't that right? We want grace. Everybody say grace. grace. That's a word you can shout. When we make a mistake, when we mess up with our boss, with our spouse, with our kids, we want grace. Uh, when, I was in, when I was in high school, the high school I was a part of, right, they disciplined uh, kind of a little bit different than they do, uh, than they do today. I was still part of uh, a generation where they could still beat you and get away with it. Sweet. That was awesome. Uh, you could get suspended, which I was, unfortunately, multiple times. And the primary way that they discipline their students is uh, through, um, uh, you would get a detention in the morning. And so the way the detention was served was this, is if you made a mistake, if you messed up, you got invited to Mr. Clark's class. Now, Mr. Clark, you don't know him, but let me paint a picture for him. He was a big muscle jarhead punk. Okay, that's what I said as a kid. But I mean, all he did was like coach the football team and work out. And this guy was juiced up. Most of the kids were afraid of him. But his job, besides teaching health class and football, was to monitor the detention room every morning for, for class. And here was his one rule, that if you had detention, you had to be in his room at 7.30. Now, if you weren't there at 7.30, he shut the door and you were locked out. But see, y'all aren't getting the picture yet. See, when I was a kid and I made a mistake, mommy and daddy did not rescue me from my mistakes. Mom and dads quit rescuing your kids from mistakes. Some of you are like, I don't. your kids are like, I don't like that church. So that means when I got a detention before I was driving, mom did not wake up extra early to drive me to school. I would have, if I had a detention in the morning at 7.30, my high school was over two miles away. We had real winters in, 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 in Ohio, which means I'd have to wake up at like six in the clock in the morning when it's still dark out, walk in six foot of snow, uphill, barefoot <laughs> to get there on time. But here's the thing, Mr. Clark, and he would do this on purpose. If you weren't, I'm telling you, it didn't matter if you were on campus, didn't matter if you were in the building, didn't matter if you were in the hallway, did not matter if your hand was on the doorknob at 7.30. And if you weren't there at 7.30, now you got two detentions. Oh, and you would just, I'd just look in the window, please, Mr. Clark. I didn't want to get what I deserved. I was like, please give me grace. I don't want what I deserve. I want you to give me grace. Let me give you another one. Everyone in this room, or probably a lot of us here, right, we've at least been pulled over by a police officer, and they walk up and ask us the most ridiculous question ever. Uh, excuse me, uh, sir, do you know why I was pulling you over? Um, I was hoping you wanted to share some donuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, we kind of play dumb, but here's the thing is, nobody here, nobody's excited about a ticket, but let's be honest, if, if you're speeding, if you're breaking the posted speed limit sign, you know what you deserve? You deserve a ticket. You deserve a fine. You deserve to stand in front of a judge. But nobody's like, hey, let me have it. Every one of us in this room, when we make a mistake, we want grace for our mistake. We want someone to forgive us. We want someone to overlook us. We want someone to give us what we don't deserve. So everybody's made mistakes. However, when we make those mistakes, 
comes with consequences. We don't want consequences. We want grace. Here's a definition of what grace is. I love this. It's undeserved. Read it with me. It's undeserved and unearned love and favor. I got in God there because God's grace is the most amazing kind. But what we're saying is when we make a mistake with our spouse, with our kids, in our workplace, with our friends, we don't want what we deserve. We want them to give us what we don't deserve. We want undeserved and unearned favor and love. When you look through scripture, anytime you come across like a major theme or doctrine, there's something in theology called the law of first mention for you geeky people. The law of first mention. What it teaches is this, is if you want to know kind of what something is about in the Bible, typically you can look at the first place it's mentioned and it'll kind of give you some insight. Well, the first time this word grace, the first time this word grace is used, it's used with this guy. Some of you have heard him. His name is Noah. Here's what the Bible says about Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you say, man, what did he do to find grace? Like, what's the magic formula? How can I get grace like Noah did? You know what he did? Nothing. So the thing like we figure out from grace right in the beginning is that there's nothing you can do to ever earn God's grace. And the better news is, this is this, y'all got to get this, not only can we never earn God's grace, you can never do anything to disqualify yourself from grace. You can't act your way into it and you can't act your way out of it. You, he gives it to us even when we don't deserve it. That's some unbelievable grace. So... So here's the thing is, right? So making mistakes is doing what we shouldn't do. It's not doing what we should do. And so God steps on the scene, right? And he kind of lays down the law. He tells us God has expectations for his people. God gives us the law, tells us the do's and the don'ts. And I just want you to know this. Listen, hear me. God has a standard of life for his people. If we claim to be Christ followers, we should live at a level of character and integrity. There should be a lifestyle that lines up with our confession and with our faith. However, so God kind of gives this law, and he, he drops the law. Some of we know like the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. We've all broken like all those. And you're like, well, I never cheated. Jesus said even if you look at a person in lust, you've cheated in your heart. Cheaters. <laughs> right? We've all done it. And he gives other kind of these obscure ones. In Leviticus 19, there's one, you know, and I've broken it. Leviticus 19 says, don't cause a blind man to stumble or a deaf man to be in anger. Uh, in, in the neighborhood I grew up, there was a, blind, a deaf man who had a house. And when you ring a deaf person's doorbell, every light in the house goes off so they know someone's at the door. Listen, you've never played ding, ding dong ditch until you played at a deaf man's house. <laughs> but I broke the law. I messed up. I made mistakes. And so you know what? Hear this. Listen, because everybody's made mistakes. Everybody's fallen short. Everybody's messed up. And there are consequences to our decisions. There are things that we have coming to us that we don't want. And ultimately, the Bible says that the wages of our sin, the, the debt for our mistakes is to be separated from God. But God doesn't want us separated from him, so he shows up and he doesn't get us, give us what we deserve. God shows up and he gives us what we don't deserve. God gives us what we, we could never earn in spite of our mistakes. He gives us grace. Check this out, Romans this is one of the greatest scriptures in, in the Bible. Read it with me. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. So the, the reason for the law, the reason for God's standard, isn't just so we live at a standard, but so we would realize we're kind of jacked up people. 
So we would admit to ourselves that we aren't perfect, that we would admit to ourselves that we do struggle. But here's the reason for the law. Here's the reason for the standard. But as people sin, check this out, as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. You know what that means is that means no matter how much you, how much you mess up, how far you fall, how much you stumble, how big your mistakes, no matter how great your sin, God's grace is greater. And it's not just for like some people. It's for all people. Not church people, but everyday people. Not religious people, but regular people. Because everybody makes mistakes. And God showed up to give everybody not what they deserved, but what was undeserved. Not what you earned, but what you could never earn. And God showed up to give us unbelievable grace. In fact, this is like, this is the thing. You want to know what church is about? Church isn't about attendance and Bible reading and giving money. Church, a relationship with God, Christianity. In fact, if you would ask somebody, what is the difference between all the major world religions and Christianity? And the answer is one word, and it's grace. Because every other world religion... You have to keep the five pillars of Islam. To reach enlightenment, you have to do things to clear your mind, to honor Buddhism and the principles of Buddhism. Whatever it is, there's things you have to do to somehow measure up. God looks down and says, hey, you've made mistakes and you can never measure up, but I'm going to meet you where you are and I choose to give you grace. Come on, everybody say unbelievable grace. Here's the way it says it in Ephesians. I love this. Ephesians chapter 2 kind of continues to define for us the power of this thing called grace. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Come on, read it with me. It is a gift from God. So God says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you instead a gift. And God shows up and he rocks our world with this thing called his presence, called his grace, called his forgiveness. And he makes it available to every single person in this room. So here, here's what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to look at a couple parables, a couple, couple things that Jesus taught to help us get this concept of unbelievable grace. So he teaches a parable. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. If you get an opportunity, you can read the whole thing later on your own. But it starts this way. Listen to this. And this verse isn't on the screen, but I want you just to hear this. In Matthew chapter 20, he says this, For the kingdom of heaven... Is like So he's getting ready to make this contrast. And he says, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like this. And he tells this story. Here's why that's important. It's because every person in this room, you have a concept of God. You have an idea of what God is like. It's like you've been taught or you've been raised to believe or your culture has said, hey, this is what God is like. And let's be honest, most of us in this room, we've been taught this idea like God is this big, mad, white-bearded dude in heaven just waiting to crush you underneath the weight of your mistake. And Jesus shows up. He says, no, no, hey, let me just tell you what the kingdom of God is like. Because Jesus said, I've come to show you what the Father's like. And he did that in part through his lifestyle, and he did that in part through his teaching. So the reason for this parable is to let us know what God is like. And here's the parable. So there's a guy who owns a big cornfield, right? In fact, the Bible says it's a vineyard. I'm just throwing in corn because I'm from the north. The guy who owns his big cornfield, and he goes out in the morning, 6 a.m., to hire laborers to work in his cornfield. And he meets these group of guys, right? They're hanging out at the market, and he comes to an agreement. And he says, I'll give you a day's wage. I'll give you 100 bucks to work 12 hours in my vineyard. And they're like, I'm in like Flynn. They go to work. 
And then Jesus goes on in this story. Keep in mind, 6 a.m., laborers out in the cornfield. The cornfield owner then goes out at 9 a.m., and he's out in the marketplace, and he's like, he's like looking at apples and bananas, who knows? And he sees another group of guys, and the Bible says, Jesus teaches, these guys weren't working, so he asks them, hey, how come you aren't working? They're like, hey, we don't have a job. So the vineyard owner, the cornfield owner says, hey, go to work, and if you'll work the rest of the day, I'll make it right at the end of the day. They're in. Then he does it again at noon. He does it again at 3, and then at 5 o'clock. So think about this. An hour before the shift ends, he puts a group of people to work and tells them, I'll make it right. Now, here's where the story gets crazy. So the vineyard owner says, hey, go get all the laborers. I'm going to pay them. And Jesus, being the amazing teacher he is, he tells the story, and he says, this is how the vineyard owner paid his laborers. He put the people who worked the least first. So think of it this way. If this is the guy, and he's paying the money, the guys who worked 12 hours were at the back of the line. Then nine hours, then six hours, then three hours, then one hour. And so the guy in the back of the line is like, I wonder how much they're going to get paid. And the Bible says the vineyard owner paid them 100 bucks. And the people in the back were like, money, 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 money. He's like, if they got $100 and they only work one hour, I'm getting paid. And they get up to the front of the line, and you know what they get? $100. And their eye rate. Check the story out. When they receive their, read this with me, when they receive their, when they receive what they deserved, they protested to the owner. Keep reading. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you've paid us who've worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Jesus is honing in. He's saying, hey, you can have what you deserve. You can have what you earn or keep reading. Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this. I'm sorry. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, this is the picture of God. He's saying the picture I want you to know of the God of heaven is that he gives people what they don't deserve. He said, what I want you to know is, he says, hey, I know the world's telling you that God is mad at you. I know the world's telling you, man, that God is, that you've made mistakes and God's rubbing your nose in it. And you're a bunch of lousy foul-ups and mistakes and you've messed up and God's mad at you. He says, hey, that's what the world's told you. But I want you to know that the vineyard owner, that the God of heaven, he gives people what they could never earn. That he gives people what they don't deserve. And so we have to make this, 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 this decision today that we have to decide, hey, do we want what we can earn or do we want what God can give? Do we want we, what we deserve or do we want what we don't deserve? Because we have to make this decision because God is saying, hey, you can have it your way or I can give you what you could never earn on your own. I want to give you grace if you'll open up and receive it. See, because the two biggest lies in this world from the enemy is this, that either we don't need grace but there's not, enough of great, there's not enough grace in the world to cover what I've done. And I'm just telling you, if you've made a mistake in this room, you need grace. If you've ever fallen short, messed up, made a mistake, you need grace. You know why? Because you're like me. You don't want what you deserve. 
you don't want what you have coming your way. We want grace. And so if you've made a mistake, I want you to know it's a lie to think you don't need it. You need grace. And if you're here and you're like, yeah, I need grace, but pastor, if you only knew what I did, if you knew what I'm doing right now, man, there's no way God could ever forgive me. Hear me. There is no sin too big for the amazing grace of God. God's grace. The Old Testament says it this way. An old hymn we used to sing said this way. God's grace is greater than all my sin. Come on, somebody. Everybody say unbelievable grace. Unbelievable grace. So here's a question. I want you to just think about this. How would your life be different? How would your life be different if you started to believe that God was a God of unbelievable grace? What would happen to the shame you carry? What would happen to the guilt you feel? What would happen to the bar you keep trying to achieve? If you just said, hey, I can never earn it, but I can receive it. How would your life radically change? How would you have an unbelievable life if you opened up your heart and you believed there really was available to you unbelievable grace? So here's the thing. Because this is the easy part, and most of us in this room, like we're there, we've taken that step. Here's the real challenge is to have an unbelievable life. It's not that God just wants to do something in us. Here's the kicker. God doesn't want you just to receive unbelievable grace. God wants you to give unbelievable grace. God doesn't want us just to be a receiver. God wants us to be a conduit of unbelievable grace. Because I don't know about you, when somebody does me wrong, I want to get even. Like, we want to carry a grudge. We want to get mad. We want to hold unforgiveness. And you know what? Jesus teaches us this, and we're going to see this, is the only way you can really have an unbelievable life is not just to receive unbelievable grace, but to give it to people who need it just as bad as you did. People who want it just as bad as you did. Man, I'm telling you. Listen, so, so last night, I, I said this, and people thought I was joking. What's the time? So last night I got invited to the heart ball, right? And so I uh, went and got fitted for a tux. This is a long story, but so I go get this tux. Um, they told me to pick it up early and try it on so it would make sure it would fit. And I didn't go try it on to make sure it would fit because he measured me with a tape measure. I was there, it happened. And so like two o'clock, my wife's like, you better try your tux on and make sure it fits. I'm like, it fits. And you know, my wife's like, you better try it on. So I'm like, okay, and I try it on, and it don't fit. Like, I'm t- I go to put the pants on. Like, I have huge thighs, if you can't tell. The black hides it, I know. I'm like, I'm like, oh, get the Vaseline, right? <laughs> and, man, I get, I like, these pants are bad. I'm like, oh, this is so bad. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I got three options. I can wear shorts. I cannot go or I can wear my little brother's suit. Like, those are my three options. And I'm like panicking. I'm like, it's too late. The company told me like they couldn't do anything. So I scramble and I get on the phone and I call another company. And I'm like, hey, listen, you guys have tux pants? They're like, yes. I'm like, sweet. I love you. And so I told them what size. They're like, what size do you have? And so I told them. And I'm like, so I need the next size up. And they're like, yeah, we got it. Tell me your outseam. I measure it. They give it to me. We're going to have to hem them Four o'clock, pick them up at four o'clock. We close at at four, but we'll have them for you. I'm like, yes. So I drive in four o'clock, two hours before the ball. I go pick these pants up. I am so happy. I'm like, I love you. Can I hug you? And I hugged her and I'm like, thank you. And I paid for them and I went home and this burden was lifted and I took out these new pants and I opened them up and I put them on. They were tighter (laughs) than the first pair. 
I'm like, this isn't possible. I'm like, am I being punked? Is there a camera here somewhere? Like I look at the, I look at the tag and it says, it says 37 slim. There's nothing slim about me anywhere. I'm like, this is a joke. I'm just telling you, listen to me. The person who measured me deserves something and it's not grace. But I have to take this tux back today at six o'clock and I've decided he hasn't earned it and he does not deserve it, but I'm going to give him grace because you know why? Because there have been times in my life that I didn't deserve it and I could never earn it, but God and how big and how amazing he is, he continues to give me each and every day in my life, unbelievable grace. And he wants me to give it the same way I've gotten it. So so here's the story, right? So another parable. So the parable, Jesus tells another parable, Matthew 18. So here's, here's the other parable. He says, okay, right? So there's a guy, he's a king. And again, he starts the same way. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Anytime you read that in scripture, it's God saying, hey, this is who I am. Quit listening to culture. This is who I am. Bigger, bigger thought not just who God is, but now God's saying, if this is who I am and you're supposed to be like me, this is how you're supposed to act too. So he tells this story. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Here's, here's the story. So there's a king and he, he, he checks out his books and he finds out there's a guy who owes him mad money. There's a guy who owes him millions of dollars. And he calls his servant in and he says, hey man, listen, you owe me crazy money. You need to pay me now. And here's where the story picks up. This is this guy's response. Check it out, Matthew chapter 18. But the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay you everything that I owe. Then his master was filled with pity. This is good because this is what God is like. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. Do you know what Christianity is about? Forgiving your debt. Do you know what grace is about? Forgiving our debt. Do you know who Jesus is? He came to be the one to forgive us and give us grace and cover all of our debts. And so this guy's like, for real? I don't owe you anything. Free and clear. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you could never earn. I forgive your debt. Check out his response. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He owed the king millions, got forgiven. He finds someone who owes him a few thousand. Notice the response. He grabs him by the throat and demanded instant payment. This is me with the tux guy. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Sounds just the same way he did to the king. Now this guy is bowing down before him, begging him, please, be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Y'all don't miss this right here. Then the king called the man he had forgiven. Y'all know who the king is. You're picking this up, right? We tracking? And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Every voice here, read this with me. Next verse. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, hey, listen, there's something about us that's broken. We want mercy, but we, we demand justice. 
We want other people, we want to get even with other people, but we want people to overlook us. He said, hey man, something isn't right because you can either have it one way or the other. You can either have justice, and if that's the case, if you want justice from others, God says, I'll demand justice from you. If you demand everybody else cover everything and make everything right, then I'll demand the same thing from you. But God says if you're here and you've opened up your heart in light of your mistakes and your sins and your struggles and you realize you wanted grace, then he says the same way you've received grace, you need to give grace. He might say, but Pastor Steve, you don't know what they did. Notice the parable. He says, hey, there was a guy who owed the king millions. Hear me, it doesn't matter. I know, man, some of you have been hurt so bad. I know some of you have been taken advantage of and maligned, and abused. And there's stories in this room that would devastate us if we heard it. You say, Pastor, what, I'm just supposed to let go? I'm just saying that God's never called us to be an accountant. He's called us to be a Christian. Which means if we try to manage everybody's debt and what they owe us and how our wife upset us and what our husband said to us and what our kids did to us and how our neighbor offended us and what our coworker said on Facebook and what our friend, and on and on and on. He says, man, you're just going to be overwhelmed trying to track and take care of all these people who owe you. He said, isn't it easier just to give them grace? Yeah, I know they don't deserve it, but neither do you. But they didn't even try to earn it. God says, "You, you couldn't earn my grace either. And so he says this, one more verse. Matthew chapter 10, here's the thing, like here's the catch. God didn't just call you to be a receiver of grace. God's called us to be a conduit in this world. You want to live an unbelievable life? Don't just open your life up to unbelievable grace. Make it available to people in your world. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples when he's sending them out in this broken, dark world. He says, hey, I want you to heal the sick. Like there's lots of people around us, and man, they're broken. He said, you're the answer. The hope you found in me and the grace you found, you're the answer. So I want you to go heal the sick. Raise the dead. When you find people with their dreams shattered, man, don't leave them in the dirt. Come and raise them up. Cure those with leprosy. They were the outcasts of the society. He says, hey, man, people who are being bullied and marginalized, he said, man, pull them in. Let them know they matter. Let them know know they're valuable. Put your arm around them. You'd be surprised. I'm telling you, the greatest thing I've learned as a pastor, you'd be surprised what two minutes of your time in a hug would do for somebody. Well, I don't know what to say. Two minutes of your time in a hug goes a long, long way. He said, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. And then he says this. I know you all see it. I want you to read it with me. I want you to shout with me as if you really believe Jesus said this. Give as freely as you've received. He says, without conditions and without trying to make people earn it, without trying to make people make it right, without people trying to settle the issue, without, well, did they apologize enough? Did they say it the right way? Did they really make good on what they said? He says, no, you could never earn my grace and I want to give it to you because you need it. It's a gift. I love you enough that I want to forgive you. The mistakes that have you in shame and guilt and condemnation, I want to forgive them. He says, but you know what? I want you to do the same thing for other people in your world. And so I wonder what your life would be like if you started walking in grace. Not just between you and God, but between you and everybody else. What would your life be like if you decided to not be an accountant and start being a Christian? 
because this is what we're called to. Unbelievable grace. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name. God, it's, it's, it's almost easy to talk about when we need it. But God, to talk about giving it to someone else is so hard. But Father, I know that that's what you've called us to. So I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, including myself, that you would help me to consistently and constantly, Lord, help us to walk in grace. God, to, to be willing to overlook. God, to be willing to forgive, to be willing to let go. Not because they've earned it or because they deserve it, because God, you've freely given it to us. And you want us just as freely to give the way we've received. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, help us to walk in an unbelievable life as we walk in unbelievable grace. Just with your head bowed and your eye closed just for a minute, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, man, I've never really even opened my own heart up to it. I hear you talking about God's unbelievable grace for me. Is it real? I want you to know it is. Again, Paul said in Ephesians 2, he says, listen, this grace, you are saved by grace, if you believe. All you got to do is believe, man, that there's a God in heaven who loves you, who sent his son to die for you because he wants to forgive you. And in your mistakes and in your guilt and in your shame, he doesn't invite you to a religion. He invites you into a relationship. And so if you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, man, I know I've messed up and I want God's grace today. All across this room, in the balcony, in the overflow room, online, listen, I want to invite everybody in this room, if you're here, and you've never said, I need God's grace in my life. Today, I want to say yes to his forgiveness. Then I want to give you an opportunity, man, to experience God's grace and forgiveness in your life. All over this room, if you're here, number one, we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. All of us. Number two, the wages of sin is death. What we should get paid, what we do deserve, is spiritual separation from God. But he chooses to give us, to those who will ask, he chooses to give us grace. So if you're here and you've never said yes, or today, man, it's been a long time and you've been away from God and you want to say yes to God's grace from front to back, side to side, no shame in your game, I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on, all over this room, you want to say yes to God's grace. Lift it real high, real high. Leave it up, real high. Leave it up all over this room. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me, man. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to open my heart to his grace. Come on, just open it up, leave it up real high. Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you up in the balcony. I see you too. Anybody else? Thank you over here. Thanks. So the Bible says if all we'll do is ask, if we'll just ask, if we'll believe and we'll ask, he'll save us and he'll forgive us. So we're going to do that together just before baptism. Will you all pray this? If you raised your hand, I want you to do what the Bible says. And I want you to pray this out loud. I'm I'm gonna lead you in this prayer and we're gonna pray together. Every voice here, will you pray this with these brave people who are opening their heart up to God's grace? Say, Jesus, I believe that you love me and you desire to give me grace. I confess my sin and my mistakes. Come into my heart and save me. I believe you died on the cross for all my sin. And I believe today it's all forgiven. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen. Come on, can we thank God today?